You're listening to WLPN, 105.5 FM Chicago, and you're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's only English-language labor news and current affairs radio program. News for working people, by working people. I'm your host, Jerry Medelicero, and this is the Sunday, June 13th, 2021 edition of Labor Express. We have a lot to cover in tonight's episode. It feels like the respite from the worst of COVID and the gradual return to a more social life has brought more of us out into the streets seeking justice and a better life for working people. I'm going to try to capture some of that tonight. It may seem if tonight's topics have a broken record feel to them, teachers in contract fights demanding respect, and the ongoing and ever-increasing fight back of working people against the corporate behemoth known as Amazon. Yes, these are topics that we've returned to again and again on episodes of Labor Express over the past year, but for good reason. I will endeavor for upcoming episodes to cover other topics, especially those that should have received our attention but have not yet. But the struggle of teachers for respect and safe, successful schools continues to be the labor story of the decade. And as the country's second biggest employer now, it's not surprising that union struggles and working class community struggles so often involve Amazon these days. Amazon has become the Walmart of the 2020s. Not that Walmart is no longer important, it's just that Amazon is now raised to the Walmart level in regards to its impact on the lives of working class people and their communities. So we'll hear tonight from charter school teachers at Urban Prep and Epic and their contract fights. One now successful and the other entering a new, deeply concerning phase of repression by management. We'll hear about the coalition of labor and community groups in Chicago pushing back on the power of Amazon. And we'll hear about the defeat of a new green energy bill in Illinois by the power of one fossil fuel company and their lackeys in the state legislature. But first we have this week's labor news update from our friends at Radio Labor in Canada, This edition of Solidarity News is particularly relevant to tonight's focus on teacher union organizing and our ongoing interest here at Labor Express in the future of automation. We know that the last two decades have seen a massive push by corporate America to privatize education. It is the reason that the charter schools we'll be discussing tonight even exist. We also know that the pandemic has helped encourage the deprofessionalization of teachers, the role of technology in education, and the displacement of teachers by educational automation. Tonight's Solidarity News segment focuses on the concerns of the displacement of teachers by AI, artificial intelligence, algorithms replacing flesh and blood teachers. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. Hello, I'm Mark Belanger. The Global Union for Teachers, Education International, is warning that the use of artificial intelligence in schools may lead to loss of privacy for students and minimizing the role of teachers. EI represents more than 30 million teachers and other education workers in 172 countries. It recently released a report outlining concerns that huge education companies will collect massive amounts of data on students and replace teachers with computer programs. I talked to one of the authors of the report about EI's concerns. Anna Hogan is a lecturer at the University of Queensland in Australia. I asked her about the activities of Pearson, one of the education corporations using artificial intelligence in education. Pearson is one of the world's largest education companies, and it's moved from being this textbook supplier to become this really mainstream provider of all sorts of education products and services. So things like curriculum materials, assessment, online learning programs, teacher professional development, and the list goes on. Uh, And what Pearson's doing, or their strategy, is really moving into that development of the digital learning aspects of their business. And how they're doing that is working towards personalized learning programs that start to integrate artificial intelligence. So personalized learning is where students sit at their computer and they learn through an algorithm which dictates what they need to learn. So you can think of it a little bit like a Siri or Alexa becoming your new school teacher. And the way that companies like Pearson develop these programs, it requires a huge amount of data. They need to understand how students learn to be able to program an algorithm that can essentially teach students what they need to know and in a way that's best for that particular individual. So to get to your uh, question about why we're concerned about this type of um, data privatisation, and there's quite a few issues here. So the first one's around privacy. So in terms of how student data is collected and what types of data are collected. And then this links to the issues of consent. So often users don't have a knowledge or understanding that their data is being collected or in the way that it is used. 
So, for example, Pearson will collect data from users interacting with its products and services in responses to their exercises, assignments, coursework, instructor comments, the activities they've completed. While these are all de-identified and aggregated to analyse how um, Pearson services are used and then going into their education research and supporting the strategic development of its products and services. But in the report, we basically suggest that then this leads to issues of transparency as consent is not always explicitly sought. And then there's also issues around data ownership and data responsibility. As Pearson suggests, they're only stewards of student data and it's actually owned by its institutional customers, which then leads to this idea that I suppose around data openness, because if schools own the data or students own the data and Pearson owns the products that are being produced and sold from the data, and essentially the knowledge is being locked up in corporate silos, meaning that the benefit for learners and society more broadly is not realised. So this is what we call the privatisation of the data and the data infrastructure. So if Pearson was to open up and share their knowledge of their algorithms and what they're learning from this data, then potentially the social benefits for all of society in terms of student knowledge and understanding would be uh, greatly enhanced. And I suppose uh, the last thing to sort of raise in terms of the concern is about the ethics of these programs themselves. So we know that personalised learning uses algorithms to predict customers' capabilities. And these predictions basically allow students to go to next types or it basically grants or withholds their access to different types of learning opportunities. So in a way, students are being taught through these predicted actions and it's not really allowing them the opportunity to surprise us as they often do in our traditional classrooms. The report you co-authored with Sam Sellar raises many concerns about personalised learning, including its potential to reduce the number of teachers. Tell us about that. I think the point of personalised learning is that this happens on computers and it very much lessens the reliance of brick-and-mortar schools and professional teachers. So in a way, Pearson already operates virtual public schools. They're called Connections Academies. Essentially, students log in from their computer in their own home for their entire education. Pearson's already the second biggest provider of these schools in the US, and they're hoping to grow to increase their market share. Now, the role of teachers in these particular learning systems is very much a supporting role. They're no longer intended to be the imparter of knowledge. They're more responsible for student management, not the curriculum. The curriculum is set and the learning experience is an assessment sourced by the algorithm itself and the algorithm searches for relevant material from public domain and creative common resources. Already, Pearson Realize has announced a partnership with Google Classroom that can help teachers assign their students content and assessment with all these scores and data flowing back to Pearson and Google. Um, We sort of make the point in the report that personalised learning is a move that increases the chance that teachers' work is more autonomised, it deprofessionalises teachers, and it basically questions whether teachers need to be university-trained graduates with this really in-depth knowledge of curriculum assessment and pedagogy, given these skills will no longer be required by them, but actually handled by the algorithm itself. So we suggest that Pearson is essentially reducing the need for trained teachers and consequently the cost of teacher salaries for schools and school systems. And this idea that paying appropriate wages is one of the major obstacles of the funding and in some cases, in fact, the profitability of school systems around the world. So we all kind of make the point across the report when you, when you consider all these um, concerns together that personalised learning can potentially contribute to the undermining of the social purposes of schooling, which we know schools are meant to extend beyond the formation of that individual knowledge and skills to the development of healthy societies, the promotion of certain types of values, social and emotional well-being, and in fact just interactions between community members. And as we suggest, all this contributes to certain risks for public education moving forward over the coming years. The report prepared by Ms. Hogan and Sam Sellar is called Pearson 2025, Transforming Teaching and Privatizing Education Data. You can find more about the report on Education International's website at www.ei-ie.org. big thank you to Mark Belanger and Solidarity News, produced by Radio Labor in Canada, for allowing us to broadcast their segments regularly here on Labor Express. For more on Radio Labor, see their website at radiolabor.net. 
You're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's only English language labor news and current affairs radio program. The People's Lobby describes itself as a membership-driven organization of people across the Chicago region that work together to build widespread support for public policies and candidates, including people from our communities, that put racial and gender justice and the needs of people and the planet before the interests of big corporations and the very rich. Well, that's a mouthful. The organization was living up to its mission last Monday when they held a rally in the District of Democratic Illinois Senator Don Harmon, who is not only a member of the Illinois Senate, but is also the Senate President. His district includes the suburb of Oak Park, just west of Chicago, where the action happened. The recent state legislative session ended without passage of a clean energy bill. The People's Lobby argues that the source of this failure was Harmon giving in to the pressure of the owners of the Prairie State Coal Plant, one of the top 10 point source emitters of greenhouse gases in the nation. Here is Kate Redling of the People's Lobby with a more detailed explanation. So if you look at the signs around you, you'll notice that um, we're demanding a fossil-free future. All right, that's right. And you'll notice that environmental justice cannot wait. That's right. And these are signs that you could see all over the country and all over the world because we're trying to solve a global crisis and we must do our part to mitigate the impact of fossil fuel. And the good news is we have a great opportunity. We control the seventh worst polluting coal plant in the country of the United States of America. Okay. So we get to be instrumental in making sure that that gets shut down. And not just at some point, not just in the future, not just, oh, we'll get to it. We want commitment. We want a date. We demand a commitment from Senator Harmon the Prairie State and all the other coal plants in Illinois are shut down by 2035. Yes. Hear all me right. All right. I'd like to also draw attention to the fact that there are thousands of people risking their lives in northern Minnesota to stop line three. Mm. And we get to stand on a comfy corner in beautiful Oak Park with a little bit of shade, thank you and lots of water to drink and speak our peace to our elected officials. And there are people risking their lives. There are also people dying every day because of the plants that we are demanding be shut down. So the reasons that we are here in this place on this day is that our state legislature finished session on May 31st without passing a clean energy bill. Boo! That ain't right! That ain't, that ain't right. right! There are thousands of people across this state and all around the country who have worked hard to negotiate an equitable clean energy bill. We happen to live in the district and be constituents of the Senate president. Our senator is the second most powerful elected person in the state of Illinois next to the governor. Isn't that awesome? We are so lucky. And as his constituent, I have been to his office in Springfield. I took the bus. We sat in his office and we talked about CJA. Yes, and there were some words and there were some and as his constituent I've been to his office on North Avenue I've cornered him at the grocery store <laughs> and I'm here today with a lot of witnesses to say I'm still here I am still asking I am demanding that we close all the coal We don't want to hear semantics about when or how environmental justice will be served. We want 
details, we want commitments, we want dates. There have been a lot of negotiations, there have been concessions on both sides. Now it is time to stand up to the wealthy people and corporations who are making money off of the deaths of residents of Illinois. Right, all right. That's what it boils down to. If the thing that you are doing is killing people, you need to stop doing it. Amen. And by the way, yeah. you need to pay for fixing it. All right. You need to pay to take care of the people that you made sick. You need to pay to mitigate the harm that you did to the earth. And you need to pay to help everybody have a living job, living wage job that's not in a deadly industry. All right, all right. So in the community surrounding the worst fossil fuel offender in the state of Illinois, it is documented and has been for years that we can directly connect 50 to 100 deaths every year to the Prairie State coal plant. That's not okay with me. No. That is not okay with me. It wouldn't be okay if I didn't know it. But I know it, so now it's really not okay. We're here to remind Senator Harmon that all of his colleagues, and all of his colleagues, what it looks like, despite living two and a half hours away, that this matters to us, and to our lives, and to our well-being, and to the future of our children, and their children. I would like to know what my grandchildren are going to be told by my children. When somebody asks, what did Grandma Kate do? I hope there'll be a picture so they can see that this is what we did and this is the day that Senator Harmon said, yes, I commit to shepherding through the governor's bill with a commitment to shut down all of the coal by 2035. to be dramatic to get somebody's attention, right? I mean, this is nice and we can see people and we can wave. But you know what will really get people's attention? When we stop traffic. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for people by working people. On May 24th, coalitions of workers' organizations, unions, workers' centers, especially Warehouse Workers for Justice, and community organizations from working-class communities around the country held actions outside buildings associated with five Amazon shareholders prior to the May 26th shareholder meetings. These included Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, Vanguard, State Street, and BlackRock. The goal was to convince these shareholders to pass resolutions holding the megacorporations accountable for their treatment of workers, as well as their impact on working-class communities in which they operate. At the rally here in downtown Chicago, Warehouse Workers for Justice Executive Director Roberto Clack explained the situation. Hello, everyone. Hey! It's so good to be here. My name is Roberto Clack, the Executive Director of Warehouse Workers for Justice. We're a worker center based out of Joliet, Illinois, and Will County, Illinois, where Amazon is by far, in a short amount of time, become the biggest employer, become the dominant social, economic, and political force in a place where 3.5% of the nation's GDP moves in and out of. We see the massive workforce that they employ with warehouses being announced all of the time, not just in Will County, but all over Chicagoland. 1.5 million square foot warehouse in Markham, 1.5 million square foot uh, square feet uh, warehouse in, in Madsen, in University Park, in Cicero, in Skokie. I can't even keep up. It makes my head spin how much, how fast and how far and the breadth of which Amazon is growing and expanding. We're here today outside of their corporate headquarters, but also of one of their major investors, BlackRock. And we're asking them to adopt shareholder resolutions that will support our workforce, 
that will give them a future, that will say black lives matter, that will say workers' lives matter, acknowledging that 90% or 80% are people of color, blacks and browns that work in these warehouses. We need this. We need these shareholders to step up and do their part because we're not getting by. They're not doing enough. They're not paying their fair share of taxes. We saw that with the Natalie Moore and the John Lippert report. Over $700 million in tax breaks, 640 of that million dollars came from communities of color, black and brown communities. Is that right? No! no. Is that right? No. no! Do we deserve better? Yes! Do we deserve a contract instead of a, 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 a community bargaining agreement? Are, are respecting your workers' rights to organize? Are paying your fair share into the tax base? Are, are cleaning up the local environment surrounding uh, the warehouses? We have we have a saying, justice for all, justice for all, justice for all. And that's why we're here with these different organizations. Let's give it up to the Brighton Park Community Neighborhood uh, <laughs> Council. Excuse me. Um, let's give it up to Acre, the Action on Race and the Economy, right? Let's give it up to Acre. Let's give it up to with justice, let's give it up to the sunrise. Yes, yeah. We're fighting for a great new deal and to fight the worst effects for climate change before things get out of control. We got warned about these pandemics. We got warned about people getting sick from these pandemics. The projections around climate change are worst. What are we gonna do? Are we just gonna ignore it like we did before? We need bold action and we support our youth and that's the man, and thank you for being here time and time again, Sunrise Movement. We believe that the coalition of low-wage workers and environmental justice and community organizations are going to be the winning combination that change not only Joliet and Will County, but the entire nation. Yes, we can do this. Yes, we must do this. And Amazon has an outside influence in shaping our overall economy shaping places like Joliet, shaping places like Bryant Park, shaping places like Little Village, shaping places like Cicero. We want justice. We want justice. We want justice for all, and we're going to fight for that, and we're not going to stop till we win. Are you with me on that? Yes! As I mentioned previously, community organizations representing working-class communities were also an important part of these protests. They raised concerns about Amazon's impact on their communities, especially environmental justice concerns. Andrea Ortiz, lead organizer of the Brighton Park Neighborhood Council, spoke at the Chicago rally. I'm organizer with the Brighton Park Neighborhood Council, and I was raised on the southwest side in Brighton Park. And speaking as a southwest side resident, demanding accountability for Amazon's invasion into my community. Over the past three years, over the years, let me just say, it's been more than three years, Amazon has opened three facilities that have been constructed on the southwest side of Chicago. That ain't right. That ain't right. The southwest side already sees high levels of trailer congestion, road damage that cost millions of dollars that never gets fixed, poor air quality, and no green spaces. None of these constructions had a single community meeting to discuss if this is even something the community wants. Southwest side residents deserve jobs, but we deserve green jobs that pay livable wages, benefits for families, and to be treated with dignity and a union. Mm -hmm. My parents found out the new facility on Kesey was being built because I told them. Just because I drove by and saw that building that was already standing. Amazon builds the building before even letting community members know what's happening. 70 acres, 70 acres of land that could have been turned into beautiful green spaces for community members. Brighton Park only has two parks, and both of these parks exist because the community fought for them. We want green communities, not a steel one. I want to make this clear. Amazon risks to our democracy and our economy will only grow. Amazon already bullies local elected officials to do their bidding and ignores federal and state regulations. Its treatment of workers and small businesses has been the subject of multiple investigations. 
In April, workers from the Amazon facilities in Gates Park paid to walk out, naming that demand was a $2 an hour wage increase and scheduling accommodations as the company implements 10 hours and a half work shifts. That ain't right. That ain't right. And a couple days before that, a woman was run over by an Amazon truck. Wow. Black and brown families on the southwest side were one of the hardest hit by COVID-19. Family forced to work without their proper protections, healthcare benefits to help push through the pandemic. Brighton Park Stills is seeing over a 5% positivity rate of COVID cases. We continue to carry the burden while executives like Jeff Bezos became trillionaires <coughs> off our loved ones' dead bodies. It's critical Amazon's biggest investors use their power to demand Amazon respond to the resolution and hold Amazon accountable to workers, small businesses, and our communities. We demand accountability and transparency. Thank you. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls only English language labor news and current affairs radio program. Here in Chicago and at other rallies around the country, warehouse workers for justice and local community organizations were joined by the Sunrise Movement a climate justice organization mainly of young people who has proved time and time again their solidarity with EJ communities and workers. I believe Sunrise represents a new phase in the environmental movement that is looking for real, radical, transformative change and recognizes that this will come only from the organizing in working-class communities. Eli Newell of the Sunrise Movement talked about this at the Chicago rally. It is about protecting the living things and people on our planet. It's why I stand in ongoing solidarity with the Anishinaabe people, with the young people's movement who stand to inherit the destruction of our lands, and the others who oppose things like the destructive Line 3 pipeline created by Enbridge and powered by the big banks, fossil fuel executives, and politicians who refuse to act. It is also precisely why I stand in solidarity with Warehouse Workers for Justice and with Amazon's workforce today as we demand that BlackRock sign on to the resolutions as one of Amazon's major shareholders. It does not have to be this way. People can have a living wage, can be protected, can live in comfort, and can have equity once and for all. Just as Amazon's money and immense profit stands in one category, worker conditions, the environmental injustice, and the racism stand in another, which is why we demand accountability. We stand here because there are multiple cultures, not just individuals, contributing to the damage corporations like Amazon can pose, and also the freedom that they can help us reach together in our fight for collective liberation. There is a culture of consumption fed by people like Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan Chase, who have the fossil fuel industry through hundreds of billions of dollars that have built coal mines, pipelines, and gas terminals, displaced and harmed numerous environmental justice communities, and destroyed wildlife and natural resources. Look no further than Jeff Bezos' bank account to see the disparity between the living and working conditions of an executive versus a worker. And make no mistake, there is a connection between where corporations like Enbridge and Chase and Amazon may wreak havoc on our Earth, those who stand to experience the brunt of this deadly combination of greed and white supremacy most are our black and brown communities, 80% of Amazon's workforce, the indigenous communities, and most extremely women and femmes in their own existence on our land. People in large numbers are finally rejecting cultures of moderation. The culture that says, sure, we'll greenwash your advertising, but we won't give you a Green New Deal. And that ain't right. Ain't right. The culture that says, we can have our cake and eat it too by switching to mostly renewables by a non-specific date on a calendar no one intends to hang on their wall. The culture that is currently keeping Amazon executives holding the wealth and protection while their workers suffer needlessly. And it does not have to be this way. So now, at this historic moment, we say enough is enough. Enough is enough. We stand with our worker communities because it is the right thing to do, because climate justice is worker justice. 
We're going to take a station ID break, and when we return, it's going to be all about the teachers. We'll discuss the outcome of the two-day strike at Urban Prep Charter School and at Epic Charter School, the management's retaliation not only against teachers, but also students, as the faculty and staff are in a contentious process of ratifying a contract agreement. So make sure to stay tuned for all of that. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for people by working people. The teachers and staff over at Urban Prep, a Chicago charter network with three different campuses across the city, have been in negotiations for a new contract for three years now. They finally had enough and launched a strike last Monday. It was a quick strike, only two days, but it achieved its purpose, to finally push the management at Urban Prep into serious negotiations that could result in a contract agreement. A tentative agreement was announced Wednesday, but before we get into what they won, let's hear from the teachers about why they felt it was necessary to strike. The union held two press conferences during the strike. Our old friend Chris Bayhern, chair of the CTU's Charter Division, talked at that first press conference. So we are here today at Urban Prep to defend the students in these schools. This employer has stalled in bargaining for three years. They get the same funding as every other CPS and every other charter school. In addition, they got $3 million in PPP funding that was supposed to support salaries. Bosses have gotten raises every year. These educators have not gotten any raises in three years. In addition, the employer refuses to meet our demand for more special education services. We're just asking for what's legally required here, but they're balking on that, right? It's expensive, right? Per pupil funding is about $8,000 a year for special education. They get $21,000 a year. That money is not getting passed down. It's not getting passed down to the services students need, and it's not getting passed down to the resources these educators need and in the salaries that will retain great educators and make this job sustainable. So are we out here for the students? Yes. Are demands just? Yes. Are we going to stay out here until we win them? Yes. That's right. At the second press conference the next day, Jesse Sharkey, president of the CTU, went into more detail on the teachers' demands. For the last three years, our members at Urban Prep have tried to get a contract which would guarantee them fair wages, um, respectable treatment, and the security of a union contract as they go about the important work of educating students um, at these three campuses. Um, that's been extremely difficult. Um, the, the way that Urban Prep has been managed um, has been characterized by a lot of financial insecurity, by shifting policies, and by an unwillingness to engage in this process in a way that will actually land us, allow us to land a contract. Uh, I'm sure that um, for the people who administer Urban Prep, uh, it's disruptive and inconvenient for there to be a strike with two weeks left in the school year. Um, the root cause of that, though, is the, is the previous three years of mismanagement, both financial and otherwise. Um, the Chicago Public Schools basically denied Urban Prep uh, the license to charter to continue operating one of their three campuses. Urban Prep had to go to the state, the Illinois uh, State Board of Education, in order to get permission to continue to operate at one of their three campuses. Chicago Public Schools themselves has Urban Prep under an annual review. Now Urban Prep is coming to us and asking us to lock in a, a, a seven-year contract, a contract that runs backwards uh, for three years this year and then forward three more years, um, when the uh, Chicago Public Schools themselves are unwilling to do that and have Urban Prep on an annual review. Right now we're in a situation where we believe that we can get a deal with Urban Prep, but they have to come and be reasonable about a small series of terms. We need to have fair treatment for special education students. We need to have a fair economic package. We need to have some guarantees for Urban Prep that they're not going to continue to push teachers out in a rotating door, probation policy. Um, and we need to, um, and we need to uh, uh, have a short-term contract, one that allows us to come back after Urban Prep has hopefully stabilized some of their finances and management practices. Until that happens, we remain on strike at Urban Prep. Until we get justice for our members of Urban Prep, we remain on strike. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls only English language labor news and current affairs radio program. CTU's in-house attorney, Latoya Kimbrough, who interestingly once attended the public school, Englewood High School, in which one of Urban Prep's campuses now resides, feels a personal commitment to the students at Urban Prep and was one of the lead union staff in contract negotiations. She explained the situation as well. Good morning, my name is LaToya Kimbrough. Wanted to give you an update and a 
um, let you know Urban Prep did agree to bargain with us last night and we went pretty late in negotiations. Um, I think we ended around 11.30. They let us know around 2.50 that they would be willing to come to the table at 5.30. Um, and while we had productive conversations, um, they still came with many of the same things that they came with yesterday. Um, Urban Prep wants us to believe that their financial situation is bleak. Um, they're very frustrated that we want a one-year contract. I just want to clear it up. While under our last proposal, the contract would expire next year, this contract goes from 2018 when the last contract expired until the end of next year. Urban Prep has made promises at the table that they have cleared up their uh, financial debt, the payday loans that they have uh, paid out and requested. They have said that the um, line of credit that they have gotten has been paid off and they have assured us that the amount of cash on hand that CPS would like them to have, they now have. Um, so it's our firm belief that they will be in a very different situation at the end of next school year. They should be in a very different financial situation. Um, our teachers have um, taken the brunt of Urban Prep's financial mismanagement. Um, and honestly, CPS doesn't want a deal with Urban Prep for longer than a year. Why would our teachers be expected to accept a deal longer than a year with Urban Prep? We want to have an opportunity to review their financials in a year. Urban Prep has made claims to our teachers that CPS has uh, cut off funding for certain stipends when we know that's not true. Urban Prep has left off fundraising money as a line item in every budget we have seen over the last three years. When asked about uh, funding or surpluses, from the previous school year, they claimed that every there was no surplus because every dime was spent on paying off their debt. When we ask them about certain line items in the budget, they tell us this is aspirational. This is what they would like to do um, and not actual numbers. They have a line item in their budget um, and have had so for the last three years of a half a million dollars that they claim to be reserves. When we question them about this reserve amount, they say it's aspirational and actually this is the amount that they are paying out of their budget each year towards debt repayments. Our teachers have taken the brunt of this for far too long and, and, and we can't listen to Urban Prep and their promises any longer. We need to hold them accountable and that's exactly what the deal that we're asking for will do. Additionally, the deal that we're asking them for takes into account the financial situation that they claim to be in. Our teachers are not asking for exorbitant raises. They are not asking for, they're not even, at this point, they're not even asking for what they deserve, what every other teacher in the city is getting and Urban Prep still continues to deny that. At one of the press conferences, LaToya responded to a reporter's question about what the union meant when they referred to holding the administration accountable for improving special ed services. Amazingly, at Urban Prep, like at other charter schools, laws regarding the services special ed students are mandated to receive are frequently violated, and it is often required the union to put language in their contract to force the school to follow the law to turn that situation around. We, we were asking, you know, Urban Prep um, to commit to caseload limits. Um, we were asking them to hire licensed, highly qualified special education teachers. We were asking them to, um, in evaluating our special education teachers, to do so with someone who is either trained to evaluate special education teachers or have been special education teachers themselves. We've asked them to agree to follow all the laws, any of the laws that deal with special education as far as uh, providing a child with the manifestation hearing if they're exhibiting extreme um, behavior. 
So all, anything in the law, we've asked Urban Prep to, to agree to put in the contract. This is something we've asked at every charter. This is something that is in existence in the CPSCTU agreement. I definitely think it's possible to get a deal. Urban Prep could have had a deal last night. They could have had a deal on Sunday. They are dug in that this contract must go at least for the uh, three years in the future. And that's just not with the way they've handled finances, the way they've mismanaged funds and handled special education for the last three years, that's not an option for our teachers, for the parents and the students. We would not be doing our due diligence to the students and the, the, the children of Chicago Public Schools and the city of Chicago if we allow this. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for people by working people. Crystal Williams-Hayes, Recording Secretary for the Chicago Teachers Union, has also been in negotiations in urban prep for the union. As you heard from our previous speakers, urban prep has been in serious trouble due to mismanagement for several years. Hayes pointed out that one campus is under monitoring by ISBE, the Illinois State Board of Education, due to this mismanagement. And I stand here in solidarity with urban prep teachers, supporting the students that deserve the resources and the education to help them move forward. Oftentimes we are misunderstood and, so, and um, identified as being greedy. It is not about us today. It's about these students. It's about the fact that ISBE is now watching over the West Campus because of poor administration. It's about CPS having to step in and be a part of the SPED program that is not providing the services for the students. So we're saying to CPS and ISBE, Come on, let's get together. Do what needs to be done to support the students here that deserve the resources and the education so that they can move forward in life, so that they can stand behind these cameras, so that they can stand behind us and do the things that they desire to do and not be held back because they didn't receive the resources that they deserve to have had in high school. Teacher Natasha Robinson has worked at Urban Prep for over a dozen years. A few years ago, management tried to fire her, along with 19 of her colleagues, for helping form the union at Urban Prep. Good morning, my name is Natasha Robinson. As LaToya stated, I have been at Urban Prep since 2008. When we unionized in 2015, I was one of 19 teachers who was unjustly fired by Urban Prep. Thanks to the union, I was able to return to Urban Prep. However, Urban Prep did not allow me to return to my original campus. They pushed me on to the West Campus. Although I wanted to go back and be with my young men at Urban Prep who were graduating in 2017, I took the job at West Campus and I have been dedicated, committed, and focused to the young men of Urban Prep at the West Campus since that time. I have been, or I am, excuse me, one of the only bargaining members from the original bargaining team left at Urban Prep. I have sat with Urban Prep for the last three years and fought valiantly and hardly, you know, with the, the union alongside LaToya, alongside Zedra, Thad, um, trying to bring this contract to an end. So I'm hopeful that Urban Prep will hear our voices, understand that we are here for these young men, that everything that we have been doing these last few days and these last few months is for the best interest of our students. Thank you. On Wednesday, the union announced they had a tentative agreement with management. According to CTU, some of the gains of the contract include contract language committing the school management to follow special education law after months of rejecting contract language that would secure those rights for students first-ever class size limits, and an effort to retain rather than continue the turnover of teachers as they have in the past. The contract also includes, and I quote, educators also won the right to open the contract for renegotiation shortly after the next school year, a safety measure as the charter company continues to come under scrutiny for troubling financial practices that include relationships with out-of-state lenders that siphon school resources from the classroom. This appears to be a compromise over the contentious issue of the length of the contract. Apparently, new contract negotiations are not mandated for next year, but teachers can choose to reopen negotiations if they feel it's necessary. I want to say one more thing, too, which is to say this proves just once again that when teachers are willing to strike, they can win. And this has been the case with charter school teachers here in Chicago repeatedly. So teachers with Democratic, member-run, progressive, militant unions can and have been winning again and again. So exciting to see that. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls only English language labor news and current affairs radio program. Urban Prep isn't the only charter school where teachers have been in negotiations with the administration. 
at Epic Charter School on Chicago's southeast side, teachers voted by 90% to join the Chicago Teachers Union last year. But as so often happens, negotiations over a first contract have been arduous and taken way too long. This is a typical tactic of employers no matter what the industry. Unfortunately, another practice that is all too common is to fire the troublemakers, the union's most important advocates. Though it is illegal to fire workers for union activity, employers can use a host of other excuses to justify the firings or just take the matter to the courts where the decision will take years and workers often give up. Epic administration has decided to try this strategy and fired four teachers who just happened to be bargaining committee members. These teachers have, of course, received the support of their union, but it is the students that apparently have been among the most vocal about the firings organizing themselves to respond. Now the school administrators are disciplining the students for these activities. At a rally outside Epic last week, it was the students who were probably the most powerful speakers. My name is Nathaniel Concepcion. We are here today, right, not only as the student body, but with the teachers as well. When we are here because these teachers have set a high precedent for what it means to be a quality teacher. And as a student body, as a, a body of the school, we need to defend not only the teachers that provide the high precedent, but we need, to, uh, we need to protect the quality of education. Throughout my entire high school uh, life, I haven't had a single teacher that didn't leave. There was always at least two teachers uh, that, that left. And it was extremely disappointing because if Ms. Bellamy says that she wants to uh, preserve the quality of, educa of education, that she cares about the quality of education. Why is it then, right, an ambiguity that she fires the teacher of high quality education? It is disappointing and it is almost enraging that we are to expect something high from something low. These teachers have set high standards not only for themselves as teachers but for their students. Because when you're a teacher, you don't only take up the professional role as one, you take up the role as a mentor. You take up the role as someone that inspires, someone that students aspire to be like. So when you fire these quality teachers, right, it's, it's extremely dis disappointing. Where do you expect us to be eight years from now when we don't recognize a single staff member? These are the things that we need to consider, right? Uh, and I think with the reinstating the Epic Four is a first step to creating a consistent environment. Because everyone I know, all, all, these, all the student body, loves these teachers. Why? Because they know that they can come to them when in, a, in a moment of need. And, and it's in the preservation of the Epic Four that we may keep and provide the preservation of a quality education, a quality environment where students may thrive in, in their education. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, my name is Logan Wallace. Um, I've been asked a lot um, why we're here and why the students care so much to, you know, hold a rally in not in not, you know, only caring for our our teachers, but our school environment. And um, as a black person in society, uh, I'm very used to people not taking my voice seriously, uh, people turning their backs, uh, obviously. You see it all the time. And then if you add my age on top of that, you know, you really don't see many people my age speaking out that much because we feel as though um, we aren't taken into consideration or they don't want to listen to what we have to say. I never thought I would have to experience that in my own school, given that um, we're predominantly black and brown school. You come here, you want your own education and you want it to be the best. Um, and I'm gonna fight for it because at the end of the day, it's what I deserve as a black, as just as a black student, but as a member of society. At the, at the end of the day, if I stand out here in this heat every day, I will do it because I'm not gonna let them keep pushing around our voice and I'm tired of it. Um, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> One of the Epic teachers read a letter from AFT President Randy Weingarten that explained much of the situation at Epic. To read a letter um, from Randy Weingarten, uh, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, uh, who has noted their, uh, their support for us. Um, to all Epic educators and the students and parents of Epic Academy Charter School, 
I applaud you. Uh, I applaud your student organized rally today. I want you to know that I and the 1.7 million members of the American Federation of Teachers stand in solidarity with Epic Teachers, the Chicago Teachers Union, and all those who rise up to oppose the firing of the Epic Four and demand their reinstatement. History teacher Priscilla Dixon, math teachers uh, Lawrence Marshall and Eric Thibault, and science teacher Keyshawn Williams, who also advises the school's LGBTQIA club, all fired for no stated reason. Uh, three of the four of these members are uh, Three of the four are members of the union's bargaining team. Three of them are also black teachers at a school where more than 90% of the students are black or Latinx. Why were they fired? School officials have not said. But Epic Academy executive director gave us one possible explanation when she said that she would, quote, not want to work with us, uh, not want to work with any rank and file bargaining team members. This blatant anti-union bias at its worst. This is blatant anti-union bias at its worst. It targets bargaining team members. The firings happened as Epic educators were voting on their first contract, a process that is now paused with the support of nearly every Epic teacher until an unfair labor practice complaint can be resolved. Whoa. As your rally today demonstrates, Epic students have also joined the fight on behalf of their teachers. Students are tired of seeing their teachers leave because of, their un because of unfair actions by school administrators. Students and their parents recognize that Epic Union members have priorities that match the needs of the kids in the classroom, manageable class sizes, better working and learning conditions, and policies that support teacher retention. Firing teachers who advocate for their students will only exacerbate Epic's, Epic Academy's record of high teacher turnover and chronic understaffing. Give these educators the support they deserve. Save the Epic Four. Randy Weingarten, President, American Federation of Teachers. Yeah. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for Working People by Working People, an audio from a rally at Epic Charter School organized by teachers and students in support of the Epic Four, four members of the teachers' contract negotiating team who were fired. The protest was also against punishing of students that have organized to try to bring their teachers back. Two of the fired teachers spoke at the rally. My name is Keyshawn Williams. I am a very proud member of the Epic staff and one of the four fallen teachers that have been released from Epic Academy in these retaliatory processes. In the last few weeks, we've seen teachers who have absolutely no documented reprimands, have high evaluations be released from this organization with no cause and no justification outside of being members of the bargaining team. No cause except standing up for their rights and the rights of their students and the rights of their colleagues. But on this day, not only are we standing here to fight for those four teachers, myself included, we're also here to increase student voice in decisions around this campus. The students at Epic Academy have organized themselves to show full support for their teachers and have been met with their own forms of retaliation. We have students who are being disciplined currently right now for raising their voices and being involved in their education. And at this moment, I actually challenge the administration of Epic Academy to tell me one time it has ever been proven that disciplining black and brown kids for being involved in their education was ever a positive thing. I'm asking for all three of them to come out. Andromeda Bellamy, Leandra Kahn, and Christian Feynman, please come out and explain out. to us why is it necessary to kill, to cut off important connections to our community? Why are we cutting off our teachers? Why are we cutting down student voice? Why are we ignoring literally every practice that has ever gone into the development of a community school that says we want stable staffing in our schools? Our students have seen in the last four years no less than two math teachers. No more than two math teachers, my apologies. They've go they're going years without math teachers, and somehow, some way, we've managed to release half of the math department. Somehow, we've managed to release the entire science department. What is it that Epic is showing us that is really Epic here? What is our practice showing us when we are cutting our, again, our top educators? The educators that look like our students. 90 percent black and brown students needing to become able to come to a space 
where they can see people that look like them and show them that they have an opportunity, they can get out. Epic Academy, please tell me what that means. Please tell me what it, you, you've come to me and, act, and said to me that I need to explain to you how do you go back to your families and explain your ethics in firing black and brown teachers at a school that serves black and brown students. And now I'm asking you right now, can you explain your ethics for me, for me to be able to explain what you need to tell to your children? Help me explain to my children how I have worked extra hours, I've put in the time, I have students that love me and have literally come out on a day they have no classes just to come out and support the Epic Four. Explain to me how I tell my daughter that we can't continue to do the things that we need to do this summer. We have to figure out what we're going to eat on September 8th when, our, when, I, when my time is up. Explain to me how I tell my family the things that I need to do because of your actions. Explain to me what do I say to my students when they ask me, Mr. Williams, why aren't you here next year? And all I can say is I fought for you to be able to have an education. Yeah. yeah. All right. Again, I, I'm raising my challenge, and I dare one of them to come out and, and face the cameras. They had the opportunity to come out today, and they turned it down. Explain to me what part of cutting off your quality educators and disciplining your students for being involved in their education has that ever shown something positive in education. For the students and staff that were able to come out and join us today, I thank you. Senator. Uh, Peters, I thank you for being able to come out and raise your voice and add to our community right now. Solidarity. Every bit of me wants to stop right now because I know that I'm going to break down. But I can't stop when, it's, when I have my students on the line. Yeah. I'm almost 30 years old. I'm an adult. If they want to come for me, it's one thing. But they will not come for my students and get away with it. Hi, my name is uh, Eric Thibault. Um, Last week, I had the opportunity to attend a student meeting where, uh, like today, students spoke airing their feelings about the firing of the Epic Four and the quality of their education. And while it was so humbling to have students support and to know that they were fighting for us and for their school, it was also deeply, deeply sad that these students who could, could so clearly articulate, as you've heard here today, the impact on their education that the that the lack of consistency, that missing teachers, that long-term subs are having on their education and the way that the decisions made by administration will impact their futures. Our students understand this, our communities understand this, and the administration of Epic Academy understands this. We need a quality, world-class education for our students here at Epic Academy. It is what they deserve. And I thank you all here as students, as families, and members of the Chicago Teachers Union for advocating for that education today. Thank you. That's all we have time for on tonight's program. Labor Express is a nonprofit 51C3 member of IBEW Local 1220. The views expressed on Labor Express are those of its producers, not necessarily those of IBEW. Labor Express is a production of the Committee for Labor Access in Chicago, the world capital of the labor movement. Labor Express is a proud member of the Labor Radio and Podcast Network, working people's voices broadcasting worldwide 24 hours a day. Find out more at laborradionetwork.org. The song is our theme is called Worker Song. It was written by Ed Pickford and recorded by the Dropkick Murphys. Tune in every Sunday at 8 p.m. or Monday at 11 a.m. on 105.5 FM or lumpenradio.com for more Labor Express. <laughs> Yeah, this one's for the workers who turn out